Good morning, everybody, and happy uh, almost Thanksgiving week. If you're uh, just joining us here today for the first time, we're so happy that you're with us. You're coming in at the end of a five-week series that we've been discussing for the last month, when the name of the series is God's Ethics. And what we've been talking about for the past several weeks, or those who have been here, is about God's standard for our lives. And what we saw in the very beginning of this series is that they are very clearly, according to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are two paths in life. And there is the path of life and the path of death. And Jesus set for us the conditions of the path of life. And what we've been looking at is what he said that path should look like. Not what we think it should look like, not what it looks like in the world around us today, because what we saw is that we watered down many of Christ's original teachings to kind of fit what it is that we want to how we want to live our lives. Now, I got to be honest with you. Today, today, something special. I'll be honest with you. Today, something special. And the reason why I say that is because as if you've been here for the past four weeks, you've seen that we kind of took this concept. We started at the beginning by saying, hey, let's go back to God's original way of how life should look like. And everyone said, yes, I agree. There was no one who didn't want that. Everyone said, yes, let's not be watered down like the world around us. Let's see God's original rule, and let's restore that standard, that high standard that God set. Everyone agreed. Then we actually started to look at what the standard was. And we started to look at that standard first with our sexuality. And what we saw is what God said is very different than where we were living. We said, you know what? This is important. We're going to fight, and we're going to do it, and we like this. We like the challenge. Bring the challenge. And the second week after that, we talked about God's view of anger and forgiveness. And all of a sudden, it got a little personal now. Because now you start talking about personal stuff that hurt me and forgiving. But we were still challenged. Let's take the challenge. And then last week, we got even something which doesn't even seem like it should be a big deal. And God made it the biggest deal in the whole wide world. About the words that come out of our mouth. When he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. Now, all of a sudden... Like, come on now, what we started off saying, yes, bring the challenge. By the end of last week, we're saying, no more. Enough. I'm done. I can't take it. It's too hard. It's too hard. Like, God's ways are just simply too, too hard. And I came to church this morning, and I, I barely accepted the first. I could convince myself maybe of the second. I rejected the third. And I don't even want to hear what the fourth one you're going to talk about is. Just wait till you get a load of what Jesus says today. Look what he says. We're going to go Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read a long passage. All right. And uh, you tell me what you think of this passage. Jesus says, Matthew 5 verse 37. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. How's that looking for us today? Keeps going. You ever heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is hard enough of a commandment to do as it is. Love your neighbor. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, where he makes his sun rise on the, on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Thank you very much. Take off my microphone. Go home. Okay. Thank you very much. I was with you on the sex one. I accepted the forgiveness one. I would teach my kids the mouth one, but I didn't know I really believe it. This one? No. Like enough. Like the stuff we talked about the past three weeks, which are just a sample size, that's enough for a whole lifetime to worry about and never even get close to accomplishing. And what does Jesus say today? Oh, just a few minor teachings of Christianity. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you and use you. All those things that Jesus said to do. Like, let's be honest. All those things that Jesus said to do, to love, to pray for, to bless, to do good, to share, to turn the other cheek, that's hard enough to do for people that we like. <laughs> Jesus is not saying to do it to people that you like. He's saying do it to people that you hate. And do it to people 
that hate you. Two weeks ago, we had the hardest command to forgive those who hurt me. To forgive, not to love, to forgive, to move past, to put it behind me. Now Jesus is not saying put it behind you. People who hurt you 20 years ago, he's not saying put it behind you now. He's saying people who are attacking you today, go love them. Excuse me? Took me forever to get past what happened to me before. Now you're telling me to walk into the persecution? Into the hatred? And just in case you were okay on those first commands, just in case, I left one verse out. I'll give you the last verse as he finishes the chapter. Just in case you were thinking, yeah, no problem. Done, done, done. I can do that. I can do that. Just in case. Just in case. I got you right here. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's it. Close the church. Everybody go home. No one can do this. There is no benefit to anything I'm going to say for the rest of today because this, okay, like let, let's humor Jesus. Jesus is asking us here to be perfect. Not to be good, to be perfect. And it gives us the example of who is perfect, Father in heaven. That's our example of be perfect. Okay, no problem. I'll be perfect. No problem, Jesus. I can be perfect. Just, uh, you know, I just have to go to a place called La La Land, okay? And once I move into La La Land, where apparently you live, okay, then I can be perfect. And La La Land, which is a very nice place, there are no uh, evil bosses. There are no uh, negligent parents. There are no idiot drivers on 495, all right? There's none of these things that exist on La La Land. La La Land, everyone is nice. Everyone is happy. No, my uncle isn't a loudmouth buffoon the way he is right now. My, my coworkers aren't stabbing me into my back. My girlfriend didn't cheat on me or my boyfriend didn't betray me. None of those things happen. And in fact, since we're creating La La Land, we need to make it because we're trying to be perfect. La La Land has to be a place where there is no chocolate because I cannot resist chocolate and gluttony is a sin. La La Land has to also be a place where um, there are no children because children drive me crazy. <laughs> La La Land has to be a place. Actually, you know what? The Bible says you're not even supposed to be angry. So La La Land has to equal no human beings other than me. Are you serious? Like, are you serious? We've read this verse many times. And you know why it never bothered us? Because we never tried to fulfill it. Because we always just glossed over it. We're not glossing over it today. Topic for today is how to be perfect. You're going to walk out of here saying, I can be perfect. Because you know why? Because perfect doesn't mean what you think it means. Perfect, the key to understanding this verse is understanding what does the word perfect mean? We in our minds, how do we define perfect? You're in your mind right now thinking to be perfect means I have to be sinless. That's what you're thinking. Perfect equals sinless. Perfect, the word that is given to us, perfect, the Greek word that's right here has nothing at all to do with sinless. Did you know that? Has nothing to do at all with sinless. There is a word in Greek which means without sin. It is anamarteias. Say that one with me. An amarteas. Amarteia means sin. An means without. So an amarteas means sin. That is not this word. It does not say be an amarteas. It does not mean that. The Greek word here is the Greek word teleos. Say teleos. Teleos has nothing at all. These are two completely different words that have no share whatsoever. Their root words, their meaning has nothing to do with each other. What does teleos mean? Well, let's find a couple more times where it appears in the scripture. Colossians 1.28. St. Paul says, Him, meaning Christ, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect. Teleos in Christ. Why I preach, St. Paul is saying, so that I may present you perfect in Christ. Teleos. Another example, James 1.4. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. <clears throat> what does perfect mean? Teleos, perfect. If it meant sinless, to be sinless, and if this said that you may be sinless, logic says it's not even possible. Why? A, we've already sinned. So the fact that I sinned yesterday means that it is impossible for me to be sinless logic right like if it meant be sinless as god is sinless it's, it's too late I've, like it's too late i've already sinned 
Secondly, the same Bible, the same people who wrote those words also wrote that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that we commit sins all the time because sinning is something that's inside of us. Part of our human nature is to commit sin. So what does teleos mean? What does it mean when it says that you be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? What does it mean when it says that I preach that I may present you perfect? What does it mean? Here's the key. This is the key understanding right here. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Y'all know what perfect means? Teleos perfect? Literally, if you go to the, the, the Greek definition, it means complete, lacking nothing, or some other words interchangeably used, finished, accomplished the attended, intended goal. The same word teleos is also sometimes translated full maturity. Someone who has graduated from school could be described as teleos in their field. So like a medical student, is working. And then once he has graduated, he is complete. He is lacking nothing as far as medical training or whatever it may be. So he is now teleos. What I'm trying to say is the word perfect has nothing to do with a state of being. It has everything to do with a process of accomplishing something, of, 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 of growing towards a goal and finishing that project. Let me give you an example. All right. It's Thanksgiving week, so don't nobody tell me unhealthy food this week, all right? Today we're talking about a donut. And I want to talk specifically about one of the greatest inventions of all time in modern day, all right? But we got to go back to the original, okay? Do y'all know where donuts came from? Anyone want to guess? Where were donuts invented? Egypt? Close, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everything at some point in time came from Egypt, okay? So that's a good try. Donuts actually came from Europe back in the 1600s, but they weren't called donuts. They were called, it was a, a, a German word, okay, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's oily cakes, okay? They used to pronounce it as one word, oily cakes, like it's O-L-E-U-Y-K or something like that, oily cake, because that's what it is. It's a donut, okay? It's a cake that they fried it, okay, and then they brought it up, and someone said, let's take the cake and put it in oil, and that's an oily cake, and that's what they had. But they didn't just have holes in them. The story of how the hole in the donut came is a nice little story. You can look it up on Wikipedia when you go home. Actually, believe it or not, when you look this up on Wikipedia, there's three different theories of how the donut hole was invented. So there's apparently a lot of conflict and discussion about where it was. But the most commonly held view, all right, it was invented back in the 19th century by a, a European uh, captain of a ship who was on the, on, the, on the boat, they were eating these oily cakes, and he was driving the boat, okay? And it had the, the wheel with the thing, the spokes around it, okay? So he's driving the boat, and there's a storm that starts to mess things up. And he drops the oily cake, and it hits on the spoke, okay? So it knocks the middle out, and it sits right there. And he loved the way it looked and the way it held right there because he wanted to add more oily cakes to his office, okay? But in order to do that, they needed a hole in the middle. So he ordered all the chefs on board the ship to from now on make oily cakes with a hole inside the middle. And that's the story where the donut hole came from. Who cares is what you're thinking. I want to get philosophical right now when it comes to donuts. Okay, and help me out here. Let's be philosophical. Let's pretend like we're like the smart preachers. All right. What is a donut hole? What is a donut hole? Can you identify a donut hole? Can I look and say, yes, that's a donut hole? I can. I can see a donut without a hole, and one with a hole, and I can point and say that's a hole. Can I hold a donut hole? Not thinking of the, like the Dunkin' Donut holes today, okay, which are the opposite of a hole, right? <laughs> I know, you know the Dunkin' Donuts makes the little hole, okay? The munchkins, forget about that. That's, that's, we're orthodox around here, okay? We're traditional around here, okay? A hole is a hole. Can I hold a donut hole? Like, hey, give me the donut hole. Can I? Can I hold it? Can I create it? Can I say, um, I'm going to go into my kitchen and come out with four donut holes? Can I? 
No. Right? No. This is easy. But can I identify what is a donut hole versus what's a donut? Yes. Watch me now. Watch me now. Watch me now. A donut hole is not defined by what it is by what it is not, though. A donut hole is not defined by what it is. It is defined by what it is not. A donut hole, by definition, is the lack of existence of a donut around it. Okay on that one? Donut holes are like perfection. Donut holes are like perfection. Because perfection is not something that we can go into some laboratory, mix a few prayers, a few Bible readings, and say, now I'm perfect. Can't do it. In the very beginning of this series, I brought you a verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. The only way to create a donut hole is to take a donut and to take a bite and take another bite and another bite and another bite and another bite until eventually nothing remains except the hole, which is nothing, but it is something. That's the process of perfection. I cannot go into a laboratory and say, yes, today I'm going to be perfect. I can't. But what I can do, and that's what we've been talking about all series, is there's a sin in front of me. Those words, those idle words. It said, anyone who speaks an idle word will give an account of it. There's idle words. Take a bite of them idle words. There's sexual fornication right there. I can't be perfect today, but I can take a bite and I can get one step closer to perfection. There's anger. There's unforgiveness. There's not nice words. There's hatred. There is rudeness. There is gluttony. There is whatever. All I can do today is take a bite out of the donut, but I trust that if I keep on taking bites out of that donut, there will come a point in time when there's nothing left except the hole. Agree? That's what be perfect means. That's what be perfect means. So I did a little trick here for you. Okay? I did a little trick. I told you in the beginning, I'm going to give you the hardest message of them all. I believe the exact opposite. You're going to walk out of here today feeling uplifted more than anything else. Because we don't need to sit here and be beaten down by what we cannot accomplish. You can go to work to hear what you're not good at. Right? You, can go, you can go other places to people tell you what you're not good at. If all you got from this series was where we fall short, then I'd say I failed. Our goal today is to understand that perfection is not a state, but perfection is a struggle. To give you another analogy, perfection is the top of the mountain. When I say be perfect, I don't mean be sinless. I don't mean transport yourself up to the top of the mountain. Like logically, if I'm climbing the mountain, when Jesus says be perfect, doesn't mean be at top of the mountain by noon. What he says is climb. Be perfect means climb. It means take a step. Take a bite. Whatever it is, whatever area, wherever you're on the mountain, you're struggling with the sexual stuff, take a step, man. Struggling with the anger stuff, take a step. You're struggling with the relationship, take a step. Wherever it is that you are on the mountain, perfection, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, has nothing to do with the accomplishment, has everything to do with the state, with the struggle. Let me say it another way. I'll be very blunt. Someone here today doesn't struggle with sexual temptation. Someone. Maybe a magical person who exists who doesn't struggle with sexual temptation. And then there's another person who's struggling and fighting their hardest. I'm telling you, the person who doesn't struggle, who looks like they're here, and the person who is way down here but struggling and sweating and doing everything they can, this person is closer to perfection than that guy. This person is closer to perfection than that guy. The person who doesn't struggle, me, like gambling. Okay, I don't struggle with gambling. I'm cheapest person in the world. Not a I don't understand why people pay money for nothing. Not a struggle for me. But somebody who struggled with gambling his whole life and today is fighting that fight, as far as gambling is concerned, is closer to perfection than I am. Does that make sense? <clears throat> There's another way of looking at the word perfect. Okay, and probably a more accurate way of translating it is not perfect, but perfected. And that's an expression that we in our church and our church prayers and our church liturgy, we hear that word. There's a, a, a part where we talk about like the, the, the great saints who have gone before us. And we say, those who were consummated in the faith. Consummated. Okay, consummated is a funny word. It means perfected. All right, and there's certain people that we say they are the perfect man. That's not the right to say perfect because perfect means 
If, if, it's not right if you translate perfect as sinless. It's right to say this is a person who was perfected through the process. This is a donut hole that the donut hole is nothing, but the donut hole is complete. It's lacking nothing because it's someone who fought and struggled. And that's our goal is not to be perfect in the way we define it. The goal is to be perfected. The way we're going to be perfected is we're going to take one bite at a time out of this donut until nothing is left except that, that center in the middle. Now, just for the sake of definition, what does the center in the middle look like? I got to know what I'm looking for to know what not to bite. Easy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 sets the goal for us. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, till we all come to a perfect man. Okay, it's, this is what's telling us. Our goal is to keep on striving, keep on climbing, keep on biting out of that donut until we reach a perfect man. That's a be perfect. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is a perfect man? If you want to do an equation, perfect man equals Christ. Keeps on going. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. But by trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love that we may again grow up, be perfected in all things into him who is the head. And he reiterates it again, who is Christ. What is our goal? Our goal is Christ. Think of it this way. When we were created, we were created in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. We were made in God's image. Inside of us, image means a picture. Okay? We, inside of us, there's a picture of Christ. Okay? Because the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the Father, and we are made in his image. So inside of us, there's a picture of Christ. But something happened in that picture. It got messed up along the way. Think of it like a great painting, like the Mona Lisa, okay? And then, you know, when, the, when they, people looted the museum, stuff like that, they, you know, threw paint on top of the Mona Lisa. Or they, you know, like scratched it. or they, they messed up the image. The Mona Lisa is still perfect. It's the Mona Lisa. But it's just been covered up with some dirt. Our goal is to chew up all the stuff inside of us that covers the image of Christ. <clears throat> Christ was with his enemies a certain way. Me, with my enemies, it's blotched. It's not the same. I'm eating that stuff up. Until me with my enemies equals Christ. Christ with um, people who were sinners and caught in sin and who were rejected was a certain way. Me, I'm a certain way, but eh, I'm going to eat away at all those things until nothing remains except Christ. This is what we've been talking about these past four weeks of God's ethics. Is What are those things that mess up the image of Christ within us? And our goal, Jesus came into this world to restore that image, to fix that image, to clean off that image. When we went into that font where we were baptized, that image was restored and it was made perfect. And he said, look, there's that perfect image. And we were given that perfect image again. And then as we walk in this world, we, the more dirt gets on it. And that's why what we are going to do, this process of perfection, is we're going to clean off all that dirt. And what I'm going to talk about here today, very simply, and hopefully not, I want to say very briefly, but hopefully we'll see how it goes, is how this process of perfection works. And we're going to be very simple here today. And there isn't anyone who should walk out of here today saying that perfection is out of my reach. Because I'm saying today, follow me here on four steps, four very simple steps. No one walks out of here today and says, I cannot be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Because it's about the process, not about the final state. Four steps, very simple. First step, as we will accept God's standards. First step to perfection is everything we've been doing for the past four weeks. Accept God's standards, not my own standards, not the world's standards, not TV standards, not what logical standards. I will accept God's standards. He says what's right, and I obey, not vice versa. I don't tell him what's right. He tells me what's right. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, whoever, Matthew 7, 24, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew 
and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. All series long, we've been talking about this is how we work in the area of sexuality is what we think is okay. This is what God says. God's right, we're wrong. This is what we think about who I should forgive and not forgive. This is what God says. God is right, we are wrong. This is what we think about these funny jokes or these uh, little gossip here and there. This is what we think. This is what God thinks. What God says is right and what I say is wrong. We accept God's standards. And just realize, we only talked about three of God's standards. Okay, even the passage I showed you today about the second mile and turn the other cheek. And there's passages in there that talk about God's view of anxiety and worry. God's view of fear. God's view of your relationship with your parents. God's relationship, or God's view of parents, your relationship with your children. Fathers to children. God's view of your relationship with the people who love you, the people who hurt you. There's all kinds of rules, not rules, I want to say rules, of standards that God sets. And what we are going to do, we're going to be very, very, very practical with each of these points. How are we going to accept God's standards? Simple. I will read God's word regularly. This is the number one commitment we're going to make because it's the only way. How did I learn God's standard about sexuality? I read his word. How did I learn God's standard about anger? I read his word. How did I learn God's, God's standard about my relationships? I read his word. Man, if you ain't reading his word, you got no chance. If you ain't reading his word, you got no chance. <clears throat> All day long, society feeds me their standards all day long all day long i'm fed with what society says is okay and not okay man if you don't got 10 minutes a day where you can ten, even 10 minutes versus 23 hours and 50 minutes isn't, isn't fair but at least 10 minutes a day where i can put god's word in there to balance that out and someone to say you know you know what it is not okay that i have this flirtatious relationship with this lady at the office it is not okay it's okay to everybody else, but it is not okay to me. I need, if I don't have 10 minutes a day where I can look and see God's word says, it is not okay to hold on to this grudge. It is not okay. I must forgive. If I don't have 10 minutes a day where I can put God's word in there, and I'm not saying memorize all the Bible today, because remember, I'm talking about a process. I'm not talking about a state. I'm talking about a process that takes years. I'm talking about graduating medical school. You don't start someone who shows up at medical school the first day and say, be a doctor by tomorrow. I'm saying I need to be a doctor by four years from now. I need to read the books, and I need to study, and I need to know. I, I, I mean, I, I, I did Mr. Uh, the operation game when I was a kid, okay? But I, I, I need the real deal. So I know as far as standards of morality, I know operation level, that little game where you do the little thing like that. I know what the world waters down. I need to know God's standard. So I will commit to read God's word regularly. And when I read God's word regularly, the mentality in my mind. Okay, this is what we're going to commit to. The mentality in our minds. You ever seen a movie? It's like where there's like a, a bomb threat. And then there's, there's, there's the guy who comes to defuse the bomb. He doesn't know how. So he pulls out the manual. Okay, and he, you know, don't pull the yellow one or don't pull the blue one. It's always the red one. Everyone should know it's always pull the red. Okay. And, and you know how they read that manual? Okay, and then they're sweating and the timer's ticking. I want us to read the Bible the same way. With that level of urgency. That the words that are in here, if I don't read them right, I'm going to die. And if I don't pay attention to what's in here, someone's going to explode and something's going to go wrong. We read it as if we're reading like a comic strip. We read it as if we're just reading, you know, like, like we read the menu, just kind of skim down. Okay, this is what I want. We need to read it like we read the bomb defusal manual if such a thing exists. And we need to read it because every word in it is life and death. Life and death. And that's how we read the Bible. Number one, is we will do what? I mean, hear me, I need some interaction here today. Number one, what we'll do? Number first commandment, what, first commitment, I will? I will accept God's standards. The way I'll do it is by reading his word regularly. Number two, I will admit my shortcomings. <clears throat> I will admit my shortcomings. Reading the standard is good. Doing nothing about it is not good. The goal isn't to read it and say, wow, that is a pretty big standard and move on with my day. The goal is to measure myself against it. And I read God's standard and I see where I am. And then I have to admit any difference between Christ and me. I need to admit it. I need to be honest about it. I need to come, come clean on it. The word I told you in the beginning, an amarteas, which means sin. Er, an means sinless. Okay, so 
amartea, which means sin. Literally, that word amartea means to miss the mark. So Christ is the mark. How Christ spoke is how we should speak. Any discrepancy between his speak and my speak is a shortcoming. Christ is the mark of how he related with his mother. How I relate with my mother, if it falls short of that, short, any shortcoming between Christ and me, I have to admit it and I have to come clean. When I come clean, let me give you a few things not to do when you come clean. Don't make excuses. Don't, don't, don't try to rationalize it and justify it. Don't blame everybody else and their mother for why you fell short. I admit my shortcoming means I have sinned. Forgive me, God. I have sinned. <clears throat> what happens when you have a shortcoming or you have a flaw and you don't want to be honest about it, but you try to hide it. What happens? A few years ago, it was this week, it was Thanksgiving week, me and, me and the family, we went away for a, like a few weeks, like a few days. We like to get a little time away during Thanksgiving. And we were visiting. We went and stayed in someone, had like a vacation house somewhere in, in southeast Virginia. So we went and we stayed at this house. And we walked in there. First thing I noticed, this is a nice house. Don't break nothing. This was my goal. Walked in on Monday. My goal was to get out of there on Friday with nothing broken, okay? And I quickly scanned the house and identified there was one prime target for breaking. You know those, like in, in like the James Bond movies, the old movies, where someone would change and there was like the screen? You know what I mean? Like so, you know, like that. But it was like, a, like this kind of, I think it's called paravan, okay? Is that right? Paravan, is that right? Okay, so the paravan thing. Okay, it's like a zigzagging thing, and it was, it was like made of like thick wood. It had all these fancy designs on it of like little colonial people or something like, I don't know what the fancy designs are. And it was like a zigzagging thing, not attached to anything. So I quickly identified that's prime candidate number one. So I took that big thing, and I moved it to the corner. Because I didn't want anyone to touch it. I didn't want anyone to mess with it. Had Like I said, it had little stick figure guys on it, like stuff that looked attractive to children. My kids at the time were probably three, four, five years old, something like that. <clears throat> One day, when we were over there, I went out like shopping to pick up something, okay, by myself, and I came home. And I could tell when I came home, something was wrong. I could tell when I came home, something was wrong. I'm the most, and I'm the worst. If you think your husband is bad, I come in and I notice who moved these shoes from there to there. I notice everything. I walked in, and I could just smell it in the house. Something ain't right in this house. And everyone, including my wife, is in on this, <laughs> trying to keep me over here. <laughs> because while I was gone, someone ran into the paravan <laughs> and knocked the whole thing over. And all those little cute little design stick figure things is in 10,000 pieces. So they, sorry Marianne, including my wife, thought they could glue it back together. And they thought they could piece it together. And they thought they could. And they thought they could. They thought they could. Well, let me just fast forward to the end of the story right here. They were not able to accomplish it. Okay, they were not able to. And... Once I saw that had happened, you know what I started to do? Same thing. I wanted to hide it too. And I said, we are not going to tell those people. We're going to buy a new one. And we just tried to hide it. We just tried to hide it. We tried to hide it. We tried to hide it. Long story short, that thing is 10,000 little pieces. You cannot put it back together. I came back and crawled with my tail between my legs. And I said, you know what? I'm sorry. We'll buy you a new one. We'll, uh, I'll go to Japan myself and get one or whatever it may be. And the lady told me, oh, that thing? We dropped that thing a thousand times. It's broken 10,000 times. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal whatsoever. All we did by not admitting the problem at the beginning was wasted a day and a half of our vacation. That's all we did. By not admitting that this thing was broken, a simple phone call, this thing is broken, we'd have saved a day and a half of our vacation. But by not admitting it, all we did is lead to more problems. That's why when it comes to admitting my shortcomings, what are we going to do? I will examine myself regularly. I will examine myself regularly. In the story that I just gave about the pot of on, how was the problem solved? By me fixing it? Was the problem solved by me fixing it? 
How's the problem solved? By me admitting it. Admitting it. Because the scripture teaches in Psalm 51, it says, God desires truth in the inner parts, does not desire perfection. I don't fix it when I fix it. I fix it when I admit it. That's what the fixing process, because we're talking about a process, not a state. And all God needs us to do. Remember when Adam and Eve in the garden and they sinned? What did Adam and Eve try to do? They tried to hide it. They tried to hide from God. Not very smart. They tried to hide from God. Hide behind little fig leaves. And God came down and appeared. And God said what to Adam? He said, Adam. He asked him a question. What was the question? Adam, where are you? Why does God ask Adam, where are you? God couldn't find him? Hey, he's the only guy. Can't be that hard to find him. Why God asked him, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to stand up and say, God, I've sinned. I'm in trouble. Where am I? I'm in a mess. Adam didn't do it, just like us. No, no, I'm fine, God. Hey, excuse me. Where are you? God comes down right now and says to you, where are you? No, no, I'm fine. No, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine right here. You don't see nothing? Everything's fine. You know what I mean? Where are you, Adam? If God asked you today, where are you? What would you say? You say everything's fine? You say everything's fine. You're not on the path to perfection. Because God doesn't fix fine. God fixes broken. <clears throat> First thing we do, we said we're going to do what? Number one, say it with me. Number one, we will accept God's standards. We'll do that by reading his word regularly. Number two, we will admit our shortcomings. And we'll do that by examining ourselves regularly. Number three, I will ask for help. See, I'm telling you, I'm not talking perfection is hard. I'm talking perfection is easy. Perfection, accept God's rules, admit it when you have fall short, and then ask for help. Who do I ask for help from? Two people. I want to talk about them both. Ask for help from God and help from each other. Let's start with the God part. Ask for help from God. Is there anything, 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 anything? That we go to God in sincerity of heart, asking for help, and he'll say no. Anything. Anybody. There is nothing that if you go to God with a sincere heart and say, God, I am struggling, that God will ever say no. Don't tell me how bad you are. Don't tell me how sinful you are. Don't tell me how far you are from your idea of perfect. Don't tell me any of that stuff. Because if you tell me that, I will tell you Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. This is a verse that you need to staple on your wall if you struggle with going to God. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't ever say, no, I can't, I'm too bad. Don't ever say, no, I'm too far. Don't ever say, no, my situation, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that sin is stopping me from getting to God. you know why? Because what is God's primary job? Jesus. Like, define, like, his job in life. He was given the job title of Savior. You know what Savior means? It means solves sin. If my job is Savior, solving sin, and then you come to me and say, well, I can't come to you because of sin. That's, that's what I fix. Not too much sin to come to the Savior. That's what my spray is just to solve sin. I have a spray like the exterminator. I have a thing on my back that solves sin. That's what it means by me being Savior. So you cannot say, I can't come to you because of sin. Because I solve sin. So if sin is your problem, you're in the right place. We will not let sin stop us from going to God. We will let sin push us to God. Sin will drive me into God's arms to accept his standard, to admit where I fall short, and then run to God and say, God, I need help. Notice I didn't fix anything. Like the pot of all, I didn't fix anything. All I did was say I need help. And that's all it takes for God. Again, some advice when you do this. How not to do it. How not to ask for help. By bargaining. Don't bargain with God. Okay, God, you give me this and then I'll do this. You know why you don't do that? Because then you're putting a lot of it on like, okay, well, I did it. It gives you a lot of credit. You don't come to God with bargaining. You don't come to God with bribing. Okay, God, help me with this. And then I promise I'll go to church every day for the rest of my life. 
I promise I'll put 10% in the money box. I promise I'll never, don't do any of that promise stuff because you're going to fall short. Don't do, do, don't do bribing. You know what else not to do? Big mistake that many of us think is actually the good thing to do. Don't come and asking by begging. You say, hey, wait a minute. Don't beg? Isn't beg a good? Is it good to beg God? Or not good to beg God? I say it's bad to beg God. You know why? It's good begging in a, coming to God desperate and coming to God saying, I need you, that's good. But coming to God begging implies that you have to twist his arm that he, that he doesn't want to forgive you, that he doesn't want to help you. And I'll tell you what, with me, or let's say a child, you know what's going to help that child who ran away from home to come home? Being confident that I'm going to open the door when he comes home. And we lack that confidence. We think that we have to go to God begging, and God's like, ah, okay, fine. But don't do it again. What's going to help me go to God in sincerity of heart is when I trust and I have confidence that I don't have to twist his arm to forgive me. I don't have to twist his arm to help me. That is his greatest desire. And he's waiting with open arms. First John chapter 1, verse 9. says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't go begging. You don't go bribing. And you don't go, uh, what was the first one? Uh, uh, bargaining. Not bargaining, not begging, and not bribing. You go believing. You go believing. You believe in this verse. That when I knock on that door and I'm broken and I'm dirty and I'm bad and I'm evil, and um, 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 um. We talked about sexuality. I'm the worst at that. We talk about anger. I'm even worse at that. We talk about tongue. I don't even know what my tongue says. I come, I'm the worst. But I come believing that when I come in sincerity of heart, man, God opens that door. God opens his heart. God opens his arms. God opens his kingdom. And God opens anything that he can open in the house he opens. We ask God. Second person that we ask, or the second group of asking, is we ask others. We ask others for help when it's appropriate and when it's needed, and we don't think that we can do it on our own. Let me ask you a question. I said that this is the donut hole to perfection, like climbing a mountain. Let's say you're going to go climb a mountain, Mount Everest. You think it's a good idea to do it alone? Anyone? Think it's a good idea to go all by yourself, don't tell anybody, and go climb Mount Everest? Good idea or not good idea? Ridiculous idea. I promise you. Climbing the mountain of Christ is harder than climbing Mount Everest. You have much more likelihood of success climbing Mount Everest than you got climbing Mount Be Like Christ. So I need to take a partner. And I need to not trust that I can do it by myself. And I need help. James chapter 5, verse 16. says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I always make two, distinction between two things. We go to God, and God forgives us, okay? But sometimes what God says is, I forgive you, but to find the healing, you need to go to others. I forgive you, but to find healing, you need to go to others. You need to have, like what I want to talk about here, our action item for us, this one here, and I'll explain it, is I will confess my sins regularly. This is our action item. I will confess my sins regularly. And when I talk about confess my sins, confess my sins is a very broad Okay, it is not an activity, it is a lifestyle. And I need to go to God and say, God, I have sinned and I admit my shortcoming and I need help and I need to confess there. But then I need to find that healing in others as well. I maybe need to go to the person that I offended and say, I have sinned against you, you forgive me. Maybe in person I didn't offend, but I need to go to somebody who's a good friend, a counselor, come to me or I can go to that person and say, help me through this. I can't do this on my own. God forgave me, but I need healing. And then... We believe in the Orthodox Church and the importance of the sacrament of confession as well. Now I want to say the importance, I want to say the importance, importance of the sacrament of confession as well. That we go and we bear our souls in front of a, 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 a priest and we say, I have sinned. And then that priest declares to us God's forgiveness. What I'm saying is don't take any one of these pieces and don't, it's a complete lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of vulnerability. It's a lifestyle of not putting up a mask. It's a lifestyle that says, I'm struggling. I'm a mountain climbing, donut biting guy just like you. Let's climb it together. 
Like, why do I stand up here and pretend like I got it up all together? Why do I stand and pretend like I got it all together? You pretend like you got it all together. Let me tell you a secret. Nobody around you thinks you got it all together except you. You're the only person that's believing the lie. I go take a, you, we take a survey. You want to stand up here? We'll all tell you how you don't got it together. We can do that. Everyone around you knows that you have shortcomings. Everyone knows around you have weaknesses. Why you pretend like you don't? Why are you so embarrassed to admit it? Why you always put up a front? Why you don't even admit it to yourself? Why you don't admit it to God? We need to get rid of this. If we want to be perfect, the people who find perfection weren't people, let me say it this way. You can either try to look perfect or try to be perfect, but you cannot do both. You can try to appear or you can actually be. The people who reached it weren't concerned about how they looked. They were concerned about who they were on the inside. <clears throat> Why I say this so passionately is because I promise you, this part I'm speaking from my heart, I promise you, every week, especially recently, I've really seen it, I see someone come to me in confession and experience freedom and power like you cannot imagine. And if I didn't see it with my own eyes, I would tell you, not a big deal. But when I see it with my own eyes, someone, and I'm not just saying who just routine of confession, I'm talking about somebody who really repents and really comes and bears their soul and says, I don't care if I look embarrassed. I don't care if I look dumb. I need to be right with God. And someone who bears their soul, and I see shackles falling from this person. And I see monkeys lifted off of backs. And I see freedom that these people are experiencing. I can't not tell you about it. Like now it's on you. Now I put it on you. If you hear what I say and you don't do it, that's on you. I did my part. I told you there's freedom to soar like eagles. And there's freedom to be free from all the shackles of trying to look cool and look right and the fronts that we put up. And there's freedom in there. And if you don't want it, there's nothing I can do about it. Can't force it. But I'm telling you, it's available to each and every single one of us. Life of confession. Confession with God. Confession with the person I offended. Confession with people who helped me. Confession with, like, all around. All right? Life of confession. All right? Number one. What do I do? Accept God. Well, this is easy. This is up here. Um, how about I say this and you say what we'll do. I say we will accept God's standard. How will we accept God's standards? We will what? Read his word regularly. I will admit my shortcomings. How will I admit my shortcomings? I will examine myself regularly. And number three, I will ask for God's help, for people's help. I will ask for help. But how will I ask for help? By confess my sins regularly. And number four, I will allow for more failure. The end of the process goes back to the start of the process. And the end of the process is to expect more failure. With every one of those steps, we said read God's word. Actually, you tell me. Did I say to read God's word, confess, examine myself, and confess my sins? Is those the three that I said? No, it's not what I said. I didn't say to read God's word. I said read God's word regularly. I didn't say to examine myself. I said examine myself. I didn't say to confess my sins. I said confess my sins regularly. Because I know this is a process, man. This is not a one-time thing. You're not going to find perfection today. You're not going to do all these things say I'm perfect today. Second, you say I'm perfect, you start falling into more. This is a process. And we need to be regular in these things, allowing for more failure. <clears throat> Does God allow for our failure? Does God understand if we make mistakes? I know oftentimes I tell you this is a good verse, but this is really a good verse. Okay? This isn't a verse. This, this, this is this is a, a Staple this to my forehead. One of the few verses that I, when I started memorizing verses, this is one of the verses that I, I'm just trying to set up. This is a very good verse. This is one of the first verses, passages that I memorized because it is so powerful. Watch it here with me. Psalm 103, verse 11 to 14. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear. Not pity in a bad way, pity like compassion. God's compassion. And then here's the best part. 103 verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows my frame. He remembers that I am dust. You know who forgets this? Not him. Me. I'm the one who forgets. I'm the one who walks around saying, yes, I confessed. I'm good. I went to church. I'm good. I solved this sin problem, I'm good. We're the ones who forget. God, I never forget. I love this passage. 
you got sins. He says he takes them from the east to the, how far is the east is from the west? Same distance as the heavens are high above the earth. Infinity. It's infinite distance. Because he knows who we are. You know what happens if your sins go as far as the east is from the west? You know what happens is if your God's mercy, which is so great, which is from the heavens to the earth, if that fills you and that comes on top of you, you know what you'll be? You know what you'll be? You'll be perfect. You'll be perfect. <clears throat> the question that I'm asking you today, perfection is not a state, it is a struggle. It is a process, it is not, a, it is not an end point. It is a process that we're going to do. My question that I'm asking you is who's willing, to take the, who's willing to take the journey? Who's willing to climb the mountain? I'm saying we're leaving. There's a bus climbing up that mountain. It leaves right now. You know how it leaves right now? It's going to leave right now, and it's going to go up there. And if you want to sign up, you have to sign your name. Look in the middle of your handout. You got a little commitment card in there, don't you? A little card in there, right? You all notice that commitment card? Or that, 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 that promise card or challenge, whatever you want to call it card? You know what that is? I handed that out the first week. And I said in the very beginning, there are two paths in this world. There's a path to life and a path to death. And we agreed. We're, I told you in week one not to sign it. Remember? I told you do not sign it. Because I want you to know what it is you're signing. And now you've heard. And now you've heard everything that God asks from us. And you heard the path to perfection. And I'm asking you to sign up for the road trip. And I'm not just saying sign up. I'm serious. We're going to have some baskets going to come around in a minute. You're going to put your name inside there. You're going to fill it out, and you're going to put your name in there if you want. And I'm telling you, my promise to you, my commitment to you. This is why I handed out the card at the beginning, so you can keep that card at the beginning as your reminder. This is your way of telling me I'm on the journey, and I'm asking for your help. And I promise you, okay, in front of God, every card that is collected, all right, and the people are sincere, I'm going to take each one of those cards. No one's going to see it except me. And I'm going to pray through every single one of those cards over the next 45 days between now and Christmas. And I'm going to pray that God helps you to take that step. Because I know how hard it is to take that step. And you know how hard it is. And I know that if you're right now thinking that I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, what am I asking you to do? I am asking you to sign this, which says, I desire to walk and I will strive. And how will I strive? I will accept God's standards. I will admit when I fall short of them. I will ask for his help, and I will allow for more failure to happen. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up here on this stage right now. And we are going to sing a song together. Okay, and once we start to sing the song, we'll pass out these baskets, and they'll go up and down the aisle, and you put your name in it. Don't put your name on it just because you want some free prayers. You put your name on there if you say that I am willing I desire to walk in the path of life, to strive to live in obedience to all God's commandments. Let's stand up together. Okay, maybe we can dim some of those lights. All right. And we can start to pass those baskets around if you don't mind. Let's see what these lights do. What I want everyone to do, okay, is, is, is close your eyes. Okay. We're not standing in front of each other in a room stand in front of a wall. We stand in front of the presence of God because we know that as he promised that whenever two or three are gathered in his name, he's there amongst us. So God has laid it out in front of us today. He's laid out like his path. And he says, who wants to follow me on this journey to climb the mountain? Be the same. 
center of the universe, everything was made in you. Jesus, breath of every living thing, everyone was made for you. You hold everything together. You hold everything together. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. We lift our eyes. us with all of our heart are saying that we desire you to be the center of our lives the everything in our lives Lord it's hard for us to see all, all, all the, the high standard that you set for us it's hard for us to see that and not be discouraged because we see our sins and we see our shortcomings and we know Lord that, that every single day we try and it seems like the more we try the more we fail and the further we get from trying to be who you want us to be so Lord we're asking for your help right now. We're committing ourselves to you. And we're saying that we want to walk this walk. We want to, to make like a new start and prepare ourselves to, to live a new life. But we need your help, Lord. And we trust, Lord, that if, if, if someone's discouraged today, that you would come and be their encouragement. And someone is broken today, that you come and be their healing. And someone is, is depressed or sad or is hopeless or is in despair or whatever it may be, Lord, that you come and you, you have the solution to anything it is that we have a problem with, Lord. And we're trusting in you today. And we're saying we desire to walk in the path of life. We desire to strive towards a life of full obedience to your commands. We desire to live this perfect, be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy, which truly is greater than the stars of heaven or the sand on the seashore. We thank you that you take our transgressions and move them as far as the east is from the west. We thank you most of all that you remember who we are, that we are just dust. And you always remember our frame and you never forget. And you allow for our failure by your continued grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for every single person. And, and please help us to start like this, this fresh start with you today. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and our God and our Savior and our Redeemer and our King, Jesus Christ. With the prayers of all your saints here, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Do me a favor real quick. Before we finish, have a seat for just two quick minutes. I have something important that we want to do together. All right? And it's something so important that I invited a few friends to come join me up here on this stage, right? We had little friends. We have right here, come on up, guys. All right. We have on uh, a coming up here on this stage. Our pride and joy here at STSA is our young people. Okay. And you will be very happy and proud to know that our young people, okay, a little something called Operation Christmas Child, put together all these nice, you have to put them up on the stage if you want to get all your way. One of the service projects that they were doing together for the past few weeks was wrapping boxes to send to underprivileged children all over the world. And these boxes, okay, for those who never heard of it, come not just as a gift, but as a gift of hope because they come with the message of Christ, okay? And they're delivered by a Christian organization, all right? So these guys packed all these little boxes right here, and we wanted to show off what these kids do. Isn't this worthy to be shown off? Yeah, give them a big hand right here, okay? 
Go ahead. Go ahead.